everyone. Welcome to Nerds of a Feather, a place where nerds flock together to talk about all things fun, creative, and nerdy. I'm your host, Parker Randalls. I'm your co-host, Mark Williams. And I'm your co-co-host, Noah Helsey. Thanks for joining us. All right, this week we are talking about our favorite lesser-known films. Everything from uh, some pretty heartwarming, <laughs> heartwarming flicks to... Uh, or at least in my case, some pretty bad movies that <laughs> to Parker's to Parker's choices, which will probably be totally off the wall and ridiculous, and make Mark and I scream at him. Yeah, probably. I, dude, one of these films, you're gonna when I say it, you're gonna moan in agony, but I, <laughs> I have a reason. Um, but each of us this week, we brought uh, anywhere from two to three of our favorite lesser known films, or films that may be well known uh, but are infamous, <laughs> right? Uh, so we're super excited to talk about this a little bit. Uh, be sure to go check out the Discord server. Uh, tell us a little bit about your favorite films. Uh, engage with us. We'd love to talk and hear more about it. Uh, but I think we start off this week with Noah, starting with his film. I know he's been excited to share with us. So tell us about your film, Noah. Before I do that, I just want to say, obviously, we understand that underrated is an incredibly subjective term so some of these movies um the movies i'm thinking that i that i mentioned were actually decently successful but to me the critical review or the sort of like way that we remember them is not necessarily the way that i remember them if that makes sense so it's not that they weren't good or that they weren't well received it's just that i think people forget about them often in comparison to other films of like a similar genre if that makes sense so so my first one is actually two movies that what the like uh, sequel first and second movie that came out in 2009 and 2011 and it's the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes solid so obviously a lot of people know about the BBC show Sherlock which is modern setting with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman but a lot of people have forgotten that Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law actually played Sherlock and Dr. Watson in an 1800s setting of Sherlock. And one of the things that I love about those two movies was the way that they filmed Sherlock Holmes intelligence. I watched a really amazing YouTube video that we'll put in the description below about how the director um, was able to portray the intelligence level of Sherlock visually, specifically in the second movie, how he will see the entire pro uh, situation playing out before he even engages. So like there'll be a fight scene and the guy, before he even goes, he goes, I know the guy's going to do this, so I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this and this. And he like, basically analyzes the entire situation before he even moves, and then it happens exactly the way that he planned it. And then in the second movie, spoiler alert, they have a few times where he starts to do that, and then it doesn't go the way that he anticipates. And so it's like a really cool way of subverting the audience's expectations. But I just really enjoy those films. I think, especially the second movie, the plot is super intricate. And I always am a sucker for a hero who kind of you think that it's going one way and then you realize, oh, they've kind of been planning this the whole time. And I just find that as a like a story trip to be really fun and interesting. And so those movies are great. Obviously, I do love the Sherlock uh, show, the BBC with um, Benedict Cumberbatch. But I just think that in part because that show is so successful, people kind of forgot about how great those Sherlock Holmes movies and uh, how talented of an actor Robert Downey Jr. is because his dialogue, he almost has a little like Jack Sparrow, uh, like Johnny Depp to him in those movies of how eccentric he is. And I just think it was a lot of fun. 
yeah, it was, I remember the first time I saw this, I was at a, uh, not that anyone cares, it was at a basketball camp, but I stayed up, I started watching the film and it was like 11.30 p.m. And it was, I was at this camp with like a, the whole basketball team. Start watching this film 11.30 p.m. We've got a basketball game at 7 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> I'll be darned if I didn't stay up for the entire two hours to figure out how the plot <laughs> finished out. It was that I remember watching that first fight scene where he's boxing for money and right, yes. he's so good genius and he kind of like you said no he he does the the play out in his mind i was like i'm hooked this is like detective action hero crack cocaine i had to finish it and so Which, i was exhausted but it's it was perfect because awesome. he's actually on cocaine like in the novel series he is he, he's a crack <laughs> addict like he's a literal or maybe it's not crack but he is addicted to or maybe it's, i think it's opium in the original like story and so it's great and um one thing I love too is how in the first movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, but how you think that they're trying to convince you the whole time that there's something like extraterrestrial, not extraterrestrial, but like supernatural going on. And at the end, he just breaks the whole thing down. He's like, yeah, this is how everything happened. He just explains it to you. And I just, I, don't, I found that immensely satisfying as an audience member. I watched uh, the Sherlock cartoon show i don't know if you guys knew that there was one i didn't no i did not <laughs> so there's a sherlock cartoon show where he like i think he went into the future and like okay. uh, uh his sidekick i forget his name right now it's escaping me watson uh, watson thank you <laughs> was like part robot and like okay. had like robotic limbs but it was like a kid's version of this and I remember watching that as a kid. I was loved it. I was hooked. So like growing up, then seeing the Sherlock films and seeing that adaptation of like the darker, more realistic side of um, the Sherlock character was actually like really gripping to me. And I actually like caught that. I'm like, oh, this is actually how Sherlock operates versus like, ah, kid friendly. Let's solve riddles and like all that kind of stuff. For sure. For sure. Well, that's a great first pick, Noah. Uh, a great film, lots of fun. Uh, definitely go check it out. I actually think it's on Netflix right now. So if you have a, net, a Netflix subscription, go check it out. It uh, is not uh, on Netflix. Not? Why did <laughs> no, I think it was? The BBC show is oh, on Netflix. That's right. That's yes. right. We'll go check out the yeah. BBC show. Uh, <laughs> and the movies you can rent on Amazon Prime or YouTube, which is what I did. So Yeah, definitely worth a rent for sure. Uh, but Mark, tell us about your uh, first film. So my first film came in night came out in 1997 it was actually oh. received really really well but the reason it's on my underrated list is because no one talks about it right now no one our age really knows of that movie and whenever i mention it i either get one of two responses i've never watched it never heard of it or it's the an amazing movie the movie I'm talking about is Goodwill hunting yes it's a great <laughs> film class is so good tell us it's about Mark. Okay, so the reason Goodwill Hunting is on that list is because it is actually my favorite film of all time. Um, and I am, as someone who's, I'm 24, and talking to people our age, I talk about it a lot. It's like, oh, this movie has great dialogue, great lines, great character development, and really portrays the internal um, struggle of someone uh, like Will, who is, spoiler, let's just, this episode's going to have spoiler, who is a genius but working who grew up in the orphanage system and all that 
and it's gotten beaten, has all these charges. And so he's this genius, but he's working this janitor job who's gotten in trouble and all that. And so he's the story is basically a mathematician discovers who he is, discovers how brilliant he is, realizes he has a lot of mental troubles, asks him to go see a shrink who is, um, oh my gosh, Robin what's it? who is Robin Williams, who was also born in the same area that Will was born and helps Will back to health. And Robin Williams' uh, performance in that movie is just beautiful. And one of his most, I mean, he's he was obviously an incredible actor, but uh, very similar to if you've ever seen Dead Poet Society, he's like the mentor figure, this sort of caring, like fatherly figure who really looks after him. It has one of the most powerful scenes in terms of like this sort of really intense, like counseling moment, but almost like antagonistic that leads to a really deep moment of healing for the, the main character. It's probably the most powerful scene in the movie. Yeah, can we talk about that cast for a second? Uh, oh, Matt Damon, it was was it Ben Affleck? Yeah, and then Robin Williams. I I I mean, I realized that they were the ones who actually ended up producing the show, but the cast across the board was just incredible. Um, and then also, who is? And I'm gonna I'm gonna kick myself, but the actual math professor that discovers him. Um, yeah, the actor. Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna be kicking ourselves. But the point is. Go check out Goodwill Hunting. I think that one is actually on Netflix right now. Uh, so what's cool about um, Goodwill, like with that, is I was watching a video. I actually don't remember which YouTube video it was, but it's actually one of the first roles that Robin Williams played that was actually a serious role because he's known for being these goofy characters, light of life of the party, but him to actually play a serious role and actually dig down deep into that uh, position of in that state was actually really cool to see. And like, I, I, of all, like it's my favorite film. So of course, when I think of Robert Williams, I think of Goodwill Hunting, but even still, I think of that performance from him as his best performance. Also, it was Matt Damon's and Ben Affleck's when they were in school, it was actually their like master's thesis. However you want to word that they wrote the script to Goodwill Hunting. They submitted it to their professor and they're like, the professor's like, this is so good. We need to get something on this. And so it went around from um, studio to studio to studio till they found someone to, to make it. And that's how Goodwill Hunting was made. Stellan Skarsgård was the actor who played oh. the professor. And he's also in the Thor movies as uh, very similar as a kind of quirky like scientist character. So that's where people might know him from. Yeah. I mean, just masterful performances across the board. Definitely a great film. Uh, Definitely bring some tissues. It's a tearjerker, but I, I think uh, I think the I, the reason that film resonates with so many people is that it doesn't it doesn't shy away from hard topics, but it also it also doesn't shy away from hard love and realizing that it can be really easy just to say, you know, this person's broken or that this person's just got to do whatever. But I think Robin Williams' character really digs in, does the necessary work to, um, you know. Uh, to help the main character heal and kind of work through their issues and things. So I think that's, and you know, I'm not going to do a whole analysis. There are people who do greater analysis, but it's a great film for sure. Last thing on the last topic of like hard love, Ben Affleck's character does that brilliantly. And mm -hmm. I think thinking one specific scene when they're working on a construction site and he's like, if I'm still picking you up in 15 years, I'm going to kick you your ass. Like basically it's like, mm -hmm. you're too smart, too brilliant to be stuck doing construction. Will's like, construction's a good job. It's a hardworking job. But uh, Ben Affleck's character who is um, 
basically Will Will's best friend was like, if you're still here, you're done. <laughs> May we all have friends as good as Ben Affleck's character. All right. Uh, I think. All I'm... right, Parker. Enough stalling. Tell us your first one. <laughs> all right. So, um, I don't even think this is an underrated film because I think a lot of people actually enjoyed it. But I, I think it's a film that we should talk about more. Um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mark's, Mark's I'm dancing. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Mark, was that one of your films? Yes. Well, I, I guess I should say I should preference this by saying. None of us told the other what our favorite film was. We wanted to be a surprise. So, um, Mark, definitely hop in. But um, essentially, uh, it's, I would say, one of Ben Stiller's best films. Uh, but it's about this man who works, um, he essentially works uh, r- recording like photos for People magazine. He, he, and not even recording, he's not taking the photos. He's actually just um, storing he's them. He's a photo processor. Photo processor. Yeah, exactly. And so, the magazine's about to go through a kind of a digital transformation. And so there's this famous photographer who is supposed to shoot the cover for the last uh, printed magazine. And so he goes on this, you know, he lives a pretty normal life, but how he copes with the kind of this normal life, he, he imagines these really epic scenarios where he's this hero character. But what's kind of fun about the film is, is that in order to get the final photo for the cover piece, this final digital photo from this world famous photographer he has to go on this epic journey where he ends up going um, to iceland i know at one point he he goes to the himalayas negotiates a uh, passageway uh with some locals to the himalaya sees a snow leopard and finally finds this um this famous photographer and they kind of have this moment my favorite scene of this film is they have this moment where this photographer is about to take this photo of the snow leopard and he just stops and kind of looks up um and they kind of have this interaction where he essentially tells uh, Walter Mitty that, you know, sometimes he I just keep photos for myself. And I think it's really, you know, Walter's gone through these epic journeys, but I think it really clicks in his mind finally that, you know, he doesn't have to wait for these epic masterful moments to be a hero of his own story. He can, he can be it right now in his everyday circumstance, and he doesn't have to always wait for something to happen that um, – you know, his life's good now and, it, and it's just being in the moment and enjoying adventure uh, and realizing uh, that, you know, you can you can you can be a hero just living there, being a photo processor and your life is good that way. And I, w- I won't spoil the end, but definitely go check it out. It's a great film. You can probably catch it in a five dollar uh, movie bin at Walmart. <laughs> it's so good. OK, so like I like we mentioned, it was one of my middle. Uh, movies as well it came out in 2013 it got a 51 on rotten tomatoes which i think is so lowballing it um yes there could have been more out of the story yes it was kind of surface level but i think the brilliant of it brilliance of it is like it is surface level so everyone can understand it and it can apply to so many different people's jobs yeah so exactly. the big thing is like walter working a nine to five all he knew was work basically because his uh he had a moment in his life i'm not going to try to spoil the entire movie because i this is what a movie i'm like you have to go watch um where he has to work he has to go to job and go to a job and work and so he works and works and works and that's all he knows and his only escape is these uh daydreams 
and he just gets lost. And uh, something I love about the movie is because it is about photography. And as I studied photography, and I, my love of travel, and he traveled, he traveled to, as Parker said, he traveled to Iceland. He also traveled to Greenland, traveled to the mountains, like um, in Iraq, Iran, or no, or wherever that is. Yes. And he talks to um, some warmongers uh, to gain passage uh, by giving, and the way he gained passage is by giving them a slice of his mom's cake, um, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, it's all about adventure and it's all the soundtrack to it is so brilliant and it goes perfectly. The music, the score, the songs they put with the movie perfectly illustrate what each stage that Walter's going as he slowly and slowly breaks out of his shell out of from this suit and Terry a suit and tie wearing guy to this guy who's actually living his life, not just reacting to it. Exactly. I think that's the best way to put it. Actually living his life and living it to the fullest. Uh, definitely a great film. I forgot how great the soundtrack is. Uh, definitely go check out the soundtrack. So good. Oh, it's just, it's great. Great music. Uh, great time. Speaking of a great time, Noah, what's your second film? Tell us about it. <clears throat> all right. Well, this might not be one that you all, uh, Mark liberally ripped off his headphones and started cheering when Parker mentioned <laughs> The Secret Life of Walter Manning. So my second movie, underrated film that I really love, is actually The Princess and the Frog, one of my favorite Disney princess movies. If you know anything about Noah, you know that Noah loves Disney princess movies. All the Disney animated films and Pixar films, I have seen basically all of them, every like major one. And so um, I can sing songs from lots of them. Um so The Princess and the Frog was actually hand-drawn, and it came out in 2009, I believe. And part of the reason I think it it was it was good, but it didn't become like the craze that like a Tangled or a Frozen became just a couple years later. Um, and actually, Tangled was the very first CGI princess. So there was it was kind of like a, right at the cusp of like they were transitioning into this new world of where most almost all the Disney movies since then have been. Um, CGI, whereas before that, a lot of them were still hand-drawn. And I think it's a wonderful movie. Um, and she's the only African-American princess that we've had to date. She's the only um, black – she was the first black princess that we had. The only other um, like prince, uh, POC princesses of color before that, I believe, would have been Pocahontas and Jasmine and Mulan. Um, but, but up until then, we had not had an African-American princess. And the movie set in New Orleans – in the it's kind of i don't know exactly the time period but it's like probably the early 1900s and so it's post slavery but pre still very segregated world there's old old cars and stuff and it's all about her journey to achieve her dream um obviously spoiler alert i mean this is probably obviously you've ever seen show for it she turns into a frog instead of the prince turning back into a human and that's where the whole adventure sort of goes through but one of the things about the movie that's great is that the music is wonderful and it's very jazzy. It has a very New Orleans feel to it that most like Broadway style Disney princess movies do not. It's one of my favorite things about it. I love the voice actor who plays Prince Naveen. He just has, he's so funny. All of his lines are just perfectly delivered. He's hilarious. Tiana is a very, such a lovable character. She just wants to achieve her dreams and she's pushing up against all of these barriers. Um, it's a really wonderful film. And Dr. Facilier, the uh, <laughs> voodoo guy, has 
I, I contend that it is the best Disney villain song. Like, it is unbelievably good. If you've ever played D&D, I think all warlocks should be required to introduce themselves to friends on the other side playing in the background. Like, it's just perfect. And so uh, that's just some of the things that I love about that film. And I think because other princess films like Tangled and Frozen that came out, like, right around the same time were so popular, it kind of gets forgotten um, for what a great movie that it was. Yeah, it was a great film. It was a lot of fun. I think one of the things too about you know when we're talking about these films too uh not my last film i'm gonna say i'm gonna preference this statement by saying my last film i do not see myself in but (laughs) but we see ourselves in these films and i think it's really important and really a powerful statement especially with everything going on in the world right now um that's important that um men and women in minority groups do get to see themselves on screen and and that it's not just um, oh, here's a spot, or we're going to just tokenize you, right? We want to make sure that these characters understand, like, portray the experience, because it's not just important that they see themselves on screen represented in a way that's positive and, and true to their experience. It's also important that um, people in the majority understand these experiences, that we can introduce children even to a young age that, you know, ab- about these in very intense topics, because the reality is, is that if we want to see uh, a good systematic change for our culture. We want to see a society that is Disney-esque, right? Where people are able to live out their dreams and that um, they are able to break through these barriers um, that we begin to have these deny- uh, dynamic shifts. And I think movies are a great um, medium for which we can start to portray the human experience across all spectrums. Yeah, and on that note, I work for, the, my boss is a 75-year-old black man who grew up in the Mississippi Delta uh, like right in the middle of legal segregation when it was still uh, before like the the um, civil rights movement in the 1960s. And he is, a, is an author, has written lots of books, and he talks about porch people. That's his phrase. And he uses that to describe the the older individuals within his community who inspired him to actually pursue his dreams and told him the life we live is limited because of where we live, but you're going to go so much farther than we ever could. And he has. He's the CEO of two companies. He's achieved amazing success he's a kind man i've 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 loved my time working for him but there's a scene in the beginning of the princess and the frog that the last time i watched it because i had that like sort of understanding more because i'd heard his stories drew me to tears where they go on the back porch and they have this gumbo pot that they've made this food and everyone in the neighborhood comes and sits on the back porch with them and they eat gumbo together and it was like the first time in my life I was like, that's what Cliff was talking about. Like, that's what he means when he talks about his porch people. And it hit me in such a different way because I actually have met someone who went through that hardship and had those things happen to them. Um, and it was really beautiful. So anyway, I think it's an underrated film. Um, it's not necessarily my favorite Disney princess movie, but it's it's probably one of my top two or three or four, and uh, which is saying a lot for me because I've seen all of them multiple times. So. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting too as they start to make these live remakes. Um, hopefully, uh, Disney won't shy away from uh, some of the hard topics and and actually address it, and not just not just decide that they're just going to make the film to make for a money grab, uh, aka Lion King. But, you mean all of the live action films? <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. It's probably fair. I don't like any of them. <laughs> that's a and that's a fair and that and that's fair. Beating the Beast had some good music, but anyway, I'm taking too much time. We should go to Mark. Yeah, perfect, Mark. Tell us about a little bit about your next film. So, my third film 
uh, you guys probably have not watched at all. It came out in 2008, got 85 on Rotten Tomatoes. But here's the thing. It came out in China. It is a martial arts kung fu action film. Okay. It is called Ip Man, or Ip Man. Yes, it's a great film. (laughs) Okay, so Parker has seen it. Ip Man. It is loosely based off of a real Wing Chun master, Yip Man, who was actually Bruce Lee's teacher, which is really cool. This I did a wow. little bit of research on this. So um, it stars uh, Donnie Yin, who played uh, Chirut Imoue, I think, from uh, uh, Rogue One, the the guy who goes, I'm one with the Force and the Force with me. Uh, that that's guy. Mean. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh it stars him. He's the main character. And what's so cool about it is the main character, uh, he is a flawless character. He is rich, he's humble, he's polite, and he's really good at kicking everyone's asses. He never loses. <laughs> <laughs> and so something I really like it as a film is how do you create a struggle for a perfect character? Almost ah. like Superman. Almost like Superman. Superman but was the good. original. Yeah. <laughs> um, what could challenge this man? And so what basically happens in the film is uh, the Japanese army invades China. It's based in Hong Kong in like the 1900s, 1950s. Not quite sure. Don't quite remember. Um, and the Japanese army invades China and the man that solved everything by punching things could no longer solve the ish, uh, China being invaded by the Japanese by punching because there's so many. It ends up in the film that his family gets sick, his friends get sick, and they start dying. And he's stuck in this place of like, what can I do? What can I do to change? I used to be able to solve everything, and now I can't. And he's still this morally incorruptible character, still does good, still trying to do the best he can. And so, in one scene, he goes and he, uh, the Japanese have set up control, and to get food, you must fight these martial artists, and you get a bag of rice. And so, each person you face, you get a bag of rice. And so, he goes up and he says, I would like to challenge 10 of your martial artists, the Japanese martial artists. He wins. <laughs> The, awesome. One of the best fight scenes, like the this entire something I love about like uh, kung fu movies is it does have some of the best choreo- choreographed fight scenes ever. I think, in my opinion, uh, because it is so hand to hand, it seems it's more real than say uh, an MCU Marvel movie. Right, more realistic. Um, and after that film, he leaves the or after that moment he leaves the cage someone else goes in he loses the guy gets shot and blood goes all over and he realizes in that moment how powerless he actually is to defeat the japanese army by himself so even though he was like this super flawless character he cannot fix a systematic injustice alone so he goes through this struggle like how do i change this how do i change my circumstance and basically, he eventually finds out through several things. Uh, he chooses to inspire people, to gain, to inspire people. Instead of him solving everything, he inspires others to rise up and to start fighting back as well. So he starts training people in Wing Chun, in uh, like this 
out this processing plant of some food i think it's something but like after hours they'd just sit there and just do all the forms for wing chun it's this really cool scene and eventually at the end of the movie he challenges the main uh japanese um like leader the main uh antagonist and obviously he wins but instead of just winning he still has an like because if he would have just normally won cool japanese japanese army is still there like doesn't change anything instead because he's inspired all these people around he's also when he wins he proves to these uh people oh these japanese are not um like they aren't like so tough and we can fight against and so he wins and immediately a riot breaks out and these uh chinese men start taking uh their their home back and so i think it's just a really cool development of how to fake how to um just like inspire change in others inspire change in others and how to write a flawless character like yeah it's not someone like we can uh relate to but it's someone we can look up to yeah it's always interesting uh too when um flawless characters meet a meet a problem they just can't solve and i think that that is a powerful part of the human experience a little bit right you can do everything right and things still turn out wrong and so um definitely the community aspect as well i appreciate that a little bit of this you know we're gonna have to come together to solve this problem and i think that's kind of the fun of some of these films right we're we're watching these guys do these incredible um choreographed fight scenes but the reality is that it's it's more there's a metaphor behind it and i think that's also uh, some of the best part of any film right is that there is deeper meaning behind just the awesome scene you're seeing or some of the clever dialogue or the interesting um twist or whatever right there these films that we really enjoy have more to them i think that the captain america trilogy did a great job of exploring that as well of a character who on the surface doesn't really have any discernible flaws he's pretty much morally incorruptible he's handsome he's muscular he can kind of punch his way you know through anything quote unquote and yet the effect that he has on everyone around him is where a lot of the beauty of those films come from so there is a way to do it like mark was saying to have a character that's sort of not relatable but still inspiring and i think that's a more modern version or more recent example perfect uh well i think i have the last film right i've got one more got one more okay perfect uh so this film when i say it and and listeners you got to stick with me to the end because there's an explanation for why i chose this film uh <laughs> mark all right so this film came out in 1997 oh gosh it has a 64 on rotten tomatoes but it's because the film is misunderstood. It is Starship Troopers. What? Uh, you gotta stick. If you have ever seen Starship I've Troopers, never heard of this I've before. Never heard of it. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Go check it out. No, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm gonna tell you. When you first watch the film, you're gonna be like, "This is if a teenage boy who was 14 and given a gun wrote a film." There it is incredibly violent fight scenes there is spaceships there is a little bit of nudity uh <laughs> and at the end they blow up a bunch of aliens it is like a <laughs> right wrote this film but i gotta give you some context so this film is actually based on a book written in 1959 um 
the author, um, and I want to I want to get this right, um, was Robert A. Heinlein. Um, he was essentially writing this book in 1949, uh, in kind of the backdrop of the Cold War. So there's two parts, and I, I got to tell you a little bit about the book and a little bit about the movie. So the book itself was this. It was written. It was hyper militaristic, almost fascist in its views. It, it kind of had this future society where the only people who were citizens were those who had served in the military. Um, the government was run by the military. Um, and he had these he, he, the context of the book is he was using it as a metaphor for the moral decay of the 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 1950s culture in the face of the cold war and how we weren't tough enough anymore and how all the economic wealth had made us weak and we needed to have this really tough hyper militaristic society he was really big into this idea of social darwinism where the only cultures that should survive are these ones that are constantly in conflict and involving mm -hmm. the book is super self-serious like this guy is like kind of nutso and he takes himself super serious like he is like breathing this stuff uh living it out like he thinks that like 15 year old men and women should have guns like i mean it's a crazy book from start to finish um so unlike the hunger games he's advocating for a dystopian future yeah, so it's he, not a, it's not a critique of culture it's like a, this is actually what needs to happen and the thing is in the future he writes it and it's like it's this perfect utopian society because everyone's like this because we have this foe we constantly need to be expanding the earth empire we need to fight these like he writes it in such a way that it's like we should do this and our society would be great what is awesome about this film is the producer of the film intentionally wrote it as a satirical film so the thing is <laughs> no so like people watch this film and they go um this is ridiculous like all it is is just a bunch of guns and blood scenes and um and boobs and like all these guys like hoorah go humans like kill all bugs um there's even scenes in the film um and it's, it's based around these three characters um a a, a girl who goes off to be a pilot, who all she wants, she's like this kind of like fly girl, like, I mean, super lovable character. Um, I, I think in the film, probably one of the more lovable ones who is pursuing this uh, dream of becoming a pilot, uh, Rico, who he does terrible in school, but his family's really wealthy, so they're gonna send him to Harvard. <laughs> But instead, he's he's like, I want to be my own person and I believe in the human race. And I want to be a citizen. So I'm going to go join the mobile infantry, which is like <laughs> they're they're uh, they're. Um, it's like they call them the poor, bloody infantry, like, like the kind of makes, Yeah, the, the <laughs> just yeah. like the people who run out in front and get shot. Exactly. They kind of call them the meat grinder. And then uh, it's actually this other character played by Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so in the future oh this book is wacko guys I, in the movie's wacko he's a psychic in the future like they're doing these tests where some humans what? are psychic he gets placed into this it's called games and theory and it's the intelligence branch of the uh -huh. like this whole universe and so he's like he's a psychic and all this i mean it's crazy guys this book is wacko in the film but the producer intentionally makes it where it is satirical. So if you take the film serious, of course it's going to get like a 63 on Rotten Tomato. They're like, it's surface level. It's just a bunch of guys shooting. But what he was really trying to do was make fun of the book. And so like there's even scenes where it's just commercials, like propaganda commercials. So there's like scenes where it's like 
do you want to do it's like like uh, literally i wish i could play a soundbite it's these soldiers hanging out with it's three soldiers full battle armor have these giant guns the guns are like all 50 cal machine gun and they go hey kids you want to check out our guns they're good for killing bugs and all the kids are like fighting trying to get the gun and they're giving and it's 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 written almost like a propaganda film i swear um because it's a satirical like he's essentially making fun of this super right-wing hyper militaristic thought of like oh if we do this it's going to somehow solve the cold war and like the human society is super reactionary to these that they're fighting these arachnids they call them bugs Mm -hmm. it's like a it's a sentient bug species Mm -hmm. Um, but he's essentially making fun of like humans and making fun of like when and again you've got to keep it in the light of the cold war right he's making fun of this rapid buildup of this nuclear armament as -hmm. the solution to the cold war when in reality like he's advocating for you know maybe diplomacy happens and um like one scene buenos aires gets destroyed by an asteroid launched across the galaxy like i'm not making this up like this (laughs) i'm so intrigued i want to go see this now but here's the last piece i'm going to leave you with it had a production budget of 105 million dollars in 1997 the star wars which uh return of the jedi which was released in 1983 had a production budget of 30 uh, 32.5 million dollars if you're curious about what that is in modern day money don't worry i did the math for you <laughs> the star wars return of the jedi an established film that had like pretty good critical review at this point had in modern day money about $85 million in production budget. Starship Troopers had $170 million <laughs> in production. Go watch it. it. It won a ton of awards for special effects. They're actually really good for the 90s. Like the, the blood and the, like the, the, the armor and the props, really incredible. Terrible film if you take it on surface level. You got to go understand that it's satirical in nature. Um, but I love it. I think it's a fun film if you just want something stupid uh, to go watch. But it's also a good film if you want a, like a metaphor for hyper-militaristic societies. Um, just, to, just to put that even more in context, two years later, The Phantom Menace came out, which most of our audience would probably have seen, $115 million. So they basically spent as much money on this movie as they did on all of Coruscant <laughs> and Duel of Fates and like some of the greatest music you've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> And it's terrible. It's terrible. It's the most. It's the. It's the best fun you'll ever have. Uh, it'll kill your brain cells. Um, and it's it's a romping good time. Special effects are incredible. Now, tell us about your last film. I'm, it I'm made scared. a it made 121 million at the box office. So they made back like their like what they had. Whereas the Phantom Menace made like <laughs> two billion. Yeah, yeah, over a billion. So yeah, anyway, yeah. just for context, it was over a billion for the fifth. This, this whole film was ridiculous. Go watch right. on it. <laughs> I'll have to go watch it. Okay, I'm gonna. I could talk about this movie forever, so I'm gonna try to quickly summarize why I love this film. My last one is Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Pirates Three. It is my favorite movie in the franchise. It's three hours long. It is <laughs> so so long, and. I think part of why it didn't get as good of reviews like as the first one or even the second one by critics is it's very confusing. Like there are so many characters and really I think the writing is exceptional because as you watch the movie, as you go through, you start to realize, even though I'm a little confused, if I really stop and think about it, I actually do know what each character wants. Like 
all of the characters have very strong motivations and they're constantly changing and conflicting with each other. And the whole movie moves through this like long thing and you've built it up over two films before you have great acting. Johnny Depp obviously is Jack Sparrow is classic. Uh, The will Elizabeth love story is one of my favorites. And when you get to the final battle, there's so many stakes and I watched a great film, which we'll put in the description, or I'm sorry, a YouTube video that we'll put in the description about why the final fight scene is perfect, like perfectly shot, perfectly paced the way that they did it, because every character has a very specific personal stake in what's happening. It's not just a bunch of fighting just for fighting's sake, like they set it up so well. And that's why I think the ending is for me so immensely satisfying when they like go through spoiler and blow up. The, the big ship at the end because you're like yes like it was justice it was like you that's what you were cheering for the whole time you wanted that to happen um and i just think it's super underrated i think the, the music is uh, exceptional the final fight scene it's probably my favorite action sequence as much i mean even all the marvel movies as much as i love star wars all that stuff but if i just had to pick one fight scene just to watch it'd probably be that one or the end of avatar the movie avatar the blue people where they fight with the airships and the stuff or the end of avatar the tv show any of those would be yeah, yeah but any of those. i love i love the end of pirates 3 i love the ship battle it's so it's so compelling and satisfying and it's my favorite marriage scene in an entire in a movie where will and elizabeth literally get married in the middle of a battle and it's just it's so badass and it's beautiful and the music is heart-wrenching because if you've seen the movie you know it does kind of end well, but you know it's not really going to end well. Like it's going to be this incredibly bittersweet ending, and there's just something about it that tugs at me. And um, yeah, I just love it. I mean, there's really not a part of the movie I don't love, and uh, it's beautiful. It's it's. I think it's not. I mean, yes, compared to like Shawshank Redemption, obviously, I don't think that it's like like that artful or something like that. Like some of the great like great, you know like IMDb's top movies ever made, but. It frustrates me that like it doesn't get the same kind of love that like another action sort of movie would, like some of the great Marvel movies would. Um, and really watching it, you kind of see they were kind of doing the MCU before the MCU. Like there are so many characters you know by face, you know, like that you know who they are. And really, people hadn't done that big of a like a lot of movies hadn't had that big of a cast before. And it totally, for me at least, it totally worked. And it was successful commercially, but I just think critically, it didn't get the love that it deserved last film definitely did not get as recognized as it but it was like people still love it because it's part of the like the trilogy that everyone mm-hmm. knows like okay. it is the summation of the whole storyline mm-hmm. and as someone who loves jack sparrow and as yes been, who cosplayed as jack sparrow for years <laughs> years uh every halloween all every halloween when i had dreadlocks like <laughs> i think just like the um yeah, especially like that last. I think the biggest thing for me on that last movie is like it sums up the story and like wraps up the story in such mm-hmm. a complete way that after that point, four, uh, like Pirates 4, Pirates 5 has not had that same effect when you no. watch it because of the storyline wrapping it up. It may have not mm-hmm. like been as critically acclaimed as the first one, uh, the mm-hmm. Pirates 1. But mm. because it like there's something so it, you get a lot so much closure through it that it just like feels really satisfying and yeah. Honestly, mad respect to Disney for taking a beloved 
uh, theme ride and creating an entire like cinematic universe and and movies. I mean, props to them. It's definitely a, a good time. I, I think I like those films too because there's a lot of you can appreciate it for so many different things. But also, if you just want a film about pirates fighting on ships, it's a it's a great so entertaining. Time. It's wildly yeah. entertaining. Like, I really I, do. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, it's one of those films too. You're on an airplane, and you got you got the movies, like the movie list, and it's like just pick one to watch, and you got you got always like a, on it. You got like a twelve hour <laughs> flight. That film is it is like they contract on like the pilots contract on the fuel, and then they're like, okay, and then we also gotta have at least like one Pirates of the Caribbean film <laughs> on, 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 like a flight movie. So uh, it, it's everywhere. It's great. Uh, definitely I do a great film. I do think that the writing gets a little bit underrated, and I understand the criticisms of it, especially the third one, that there were too many characters, it was too convoluted. But even like the second movie, like the way that Elizabeth and Jack have this thing of she says, you're going to want to do the right thing because you want to know what it feels like. And he tells her, you're going to want to do the wrong thing because you want to know what it feels like. And the end of the movie happens exactly that way. Like she, he does the self-sacrificing thing to save them and she sacrifices him to save themselves. And like, I just, I mean, I'm not saying that it's like the most artful movie ever made, but I just think there's something very like satisfying in writing that sets something up, clearly establishes it and then ends on that note. And I just think that the writing goes a little bit forgotten that how good those movies were and how difficult it was to make a film about like a ride, you know, I, another great YouTube video on that. So anyway, That's great. Well, I think we covered a lot of movies today. Uh, definitely, like we said, go check out the uh, Discord server. The link's below in the description. Uh, tell us about your favorite underrated films. Uh, be sure to engage us a little bit. We'll be sure to engage with you. Uh, but also, be sure to tune in next week because next week we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite D&D characters we have ever created and one that we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to check out our Discord channel. That's where you can connect with other nerds of a feather, have fun conversations, and even suggest your own episode ideas. Discord members will be the first to hear about bonus content, including our soon-to-be infamous pre-show and after-show. If you want to get to know us better and create a community with other nerds, check out the link in the description below. Trust me, you do not want to miss it. 